Welcome to the Soccer Coaching Podcast, where we will discuss all things that impact soccer coaching across all levels and ages. Please listen, enjoy, and share your thoughts on the discussions at the Soccer Coaching Podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Soccer Coaching Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott. And I'm your other host, Mark. Hey, Marky, how are you doing? Yeah, very good. How's things? Yeah, not too bad at all. A sunny cool. bank holiday uh, weekend in England? Yeah, I don't think I can remember an Easter weekend being so hot and so much sun. We're both sitting here looking a bit rosy. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like, I don't know where it's come from, to be honest. No, it'll be snowing next week, don't worry. Yeah, I, maybe this is the ben- one of the benefits of global warming, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Actually, we should yeah. veer off that. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's stick to the football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, look, we, we won't dwell too much on other stuff, but it'd probably be um, wrong of us not to at least mention the Champions League game and the City Spurs match. Uh, your yeah. thoughts? Um, it was pretty unbelievable, to be honest. Pretty <laughs> unbelievable. So we had four goals within 10 minutes, uh, five goals within 21 minutes, which I think would were, were, were Champions League record. Um, and ended four three, obviously. Um, and City C- had calm a, ending, though, calm wasn't ending, it? relaxed ending. Yeah, City had a last minute goal ruled out, rightly ruled out through VAR. Yeah. Um, and however, you just can't, you just can't help but feel a little bit, I don't know, a little bit flat after that last minute goal. Right, the the crowd were like just going absolutely mad. The players were going mad. Um, and it was ruled out through VAR, as I said correctly, but you just can't help feeling a little bit flat, right? You almost, as a neutral, you almost wanted that goal to go in. And obviously, as an Arsenal fan, you definitely wanted that goal to go in. <laughs> I, I, well, I did. I was cheering when it went in, but I must admit, I'm, I like VAR. I mean, we won't yeah. do it now because it's too long of a conversation, but yeah. I like it. I just think it's impossible for the for the officials to get the decisions right and unfortunately whether we like it or not there's so much money at football that level that it's expensive decisions and in some countries the refs get shot for making literally for making the wrong decisions so you kind of think it takes a bit of pressure off them and you know it was the right decision and credit to Spurs I mean you yeah. go you go to City and you score three goals hey, you, you know and you've kept a clean sheet at home yeah. against them you, you know you've, they've done really really well and there, there's a yeah. possibility of an all English Champions there League is, yeah. and yeah. Europa League final yeah absolutely yeah. Although the way Arsenal are playing yeah. any money on it <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is with the Spurs as well it's worth noting obviously they didn't have any uh, there was Dyer didn't play yep. they didn't have uh, Kane playing so it was um, it's a pretty phenomenal result for them although not I mean look it's coming from an Arsenal fan, so qualify as much as you like. I, it seems to me that Son seems to raise his game. I mean, he's good yeah. anyway, but when yeah. Kane's not there, he seems to be the man to go to, doesn't yeah. he? And um, I, I think Spurs have been outstanding, to be honest with you. And um, considering they were almost knocked out in the group stages, and they won two out of the yeah, whatever many games it is you play in the group stages, six, is it? Yeah. Um, yes, they only won two of them. They've done really well, and it's just to keep going and keep going. And sometimes your name is on it, right? I think Chelsea yeah. won it one season when they looked like they were never yeah. going to win it and got through. Yeah. So who knows? But good luck, yeah. good luck to them. It'll be interesting to see, and I'm sure we'll chat about about that as indeed it gets on indeed so this episode um we've got a little well it's going to be around the importance of ball mastery and technical work yep um maybe the listeners will be pleased to know it's not going to be me and you for an hour <laughs> um so i did manage to get out and get a guest on so we had um a really a really great guest actually for this particular topic who was fantastic and very accommodating so i went and visited um sol isaacson hurst who yep. um has the my personal football coach 
soccer podcast and um all the web resources and app and things that go with that which we'll talk about on the episode itself you couldn't make it mark unfortunately yeah yeah it's a real shame actually because yeah i think of all the guests and we've had some fantastic guests on and we've been very fortunate given we've only been running this for for three months we've had some amazing guests on um i think this is the one that i really wanted to be at i think we've got uh, the way um soul talks we've got I, I kind of agree with a lot of the things he has to say um and I've listened to all of his podcasts, so I was like, I was desperate to be on this, but I just couldn't get there for one reason or another. Um, and one thing I would just w- want to say, actually, um, if listeners haven't heard Soul's um, podcast, it's definitely worth going back and listening to him. I think there's yeah. 35 or over 35 different um, guests that he's had on. Um, one that I would really rate, he's, he's had, got a conversation with Chris Ramsey, yeah. who was um, from QPR on Tottenham. Um, he's still at QPR actually it's kind of 18 months ago now um, it's definitely worth one, the episode one, yeah the yep. episode's worth listening to it's really really good we, we can probably tr- um, find it and tweet it out on our yeah. Twitter feed so yeah, there's a few idea. isn't there you, there's, there's loads there going yeah. back so yeah. definitely worth digging out and stuff well it was something having you there um, and you'll see the episode you know, Soul's definitely converted me a little bit more to your line of thinking. Well, not that we're poles apart on no, it, no, but no, certainly no. some some really good points and some and some reasons why. So we're going to switch into that in a minute. Just before we do, just some thank yous. Yep. Um, I think the last couple of episodes we've been really busy with other stuff, and we've kind of had a chance to thank a few of our listeners that have come contact us in different ways. Um, the emails we've had loads of those, and we've gone back direct through email because it's a little bit easier sometimes to put into words what you need to say in, in a longer format than you do on Twitter. So um, we've done those personally. Personally, but with regards to Twitter, just a few people would like to say thank you to. Um, as we've got a few Lees actually, Lee, um, who's an under 12s coach um, out in the East Midlands over here in England. Thank you for your co- kind comments. Um, Craig, who's out in Atlanta in the US, um, thank you as well. Lee, another Lee, who's uh, with Total Football Analysis, I think up in Scotland, in Aberdeen. Thanks, Lee. Uh, Mark, who's out in Fort Worth in Texas. I think he's an academy director. Thank you for your comments. Uh, another lead out in Utah in Salt Lake City. Thank you. Um, to the coaching um, connective, and they provide ideas and resources. I think they're based out in Liverpool. Thank you for your comments. Uh, last couple, um, uh, Radio Football. They've actually put our podcasts on what they do, and they're a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week kind of footy show, which you can get on the web or on um, iOS. They've got an app for that. So they've been great. So thank you to them. Um, Simon Williams for... Um, uh, sent, he sent through some stuff on Twitter actually around collaborative training practices. Well, actually, what it was was a constraints-based uh, match that from I think 2016 from a, a, a young academy team were doing. That was great to see some of the stuff that's going on from back then. So we appreciate that. Um, and Mike, who's an FA coach mentor um, up in Liverpool, thanks again for your comments and feedback. And we had one actual question through Twitter from Jeff, who's out in North Logan in Utah as well. And um, I think it relates to this episode in some ways because he asked us about um, relating to episode five, I think he said, although which was on um, collaborative training matches, ball rolling time and um, um, actual learning time. And he was asking really, I think it was about how we how much we emphasize 
staying on the ball compared yep. to passing, essentially. Yep. So I think in this particular episode, we kind of cover that a little bit with what Sol says, and we'll pick it up at the end after, so that's okay, and yep. chat about, about right a bit right more on. whether or not we prioritise staying on the ball more than we do with passing. Yep. Does that yeah, sound great. all right? Yeah. Should we have a listen? Oh, yeah, perfect. Just one one request um, from me, actually, and, and I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I'm still looking for feedback on nine-a-side um, formations. Um, I've started to play some nine-a-side friendlies with my under-10s team, um, but if anyone can can help me out with the formations they play, um, how successful they've been, how the players have have found them, and and any kind of information, that'd be great. Would it really be good helpful. to know as well, like um, the types of players that play well in certain positions yes. in those formations? Because yeah, be obviously really you've got to make it work for the yeah. for, for your selection. Yeah, okay, absolutely. sounds good. Cool. All right, should we have a listen to the episode? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. All right, brilliant. So, hi, Sol. How are we doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for, for seeing us. Um, it is a glorious sunny day in London and uh, you've been kind enough to give up your time on a bank holiday to come and see me, which is um, this uh, podcast episode. I'm really grateful. So, so obviously we know you really well. I listen to all your podcast episodes. I love everything that you put out there. We're big fans, as is Mark. And I'm sure most of our listeners, if not all of them, will probably know who you are anyway straight away. But just in case there's a few out there that have been off the radar or missed things or haven't quite got on, on your radar just yet, would you be happy to give us the background as to kind of what you've done from the beginning, I guess, and up to the uh, my personal football coach stuff. Yeah, I started my coaching career out in America. I went there after university. I was captain of the university team and I didn't really know what to do after, so I ended up getting a job there. Uh, initially, it was going to be for, for, for three, three to six months. Ended up staying there for two years. Really loved it um, and just was coaching every day. I, said, I reflect on this quite a lot because it's a really important part when I say to people, I was coaching for, you know, three or more hours every single day for like two years and that's so many hours. So... Yeah. Uh, came back to England and got a job at Tottenham Hotspur in the in the foundation at the time of the community scheme. Uh, as I said, I've been coaching so much and you know I just was you know I was able to put on sessions, so um, that went really well. And then I quickly moved up into the academy, uh, working in the foundation phase um, as a, like a skills taught specialist at the time. That's what they were looking for, and um, spent about six years there, and then moved on to Chelsea, uh, work, working in the foundation phase there. During that time as well, I started a company called PDA Football One on One, which is a one on one specialist company here in England. Um, we we do uh, technical training uh, for players of all abilities. Uh, I, I sort of made a reputation quite quickly of supporting players into academy football, so working with players and getting them getting them ready for trials, and then getting them successful in those trials. So that sort of mirrored my those two roles sort of mirrored their way all the way up really and uh, so working in academy football working individually so now I work individually with a lot of pro professional players Premier League players uh, academy players aspiring pro, pro players but obviously still we, we PDA football works a lot of the beginning, beginners as well um, during that, my time working in academy football as well homework was always a really big part of what I did and the philosophy so the idea giving players technical challenges to do away from the sessions to try and encourage that, you know, intrinsic mechanism to go away and work hard on their technical game. And we didn't really have anything in place, which was like a solid thing. So the idea really came from that in terms of uh, creating a resource for, for, for players, for parents, for clubs, where they could go and get a consistent, world-class technical training program where you log in and, and train yourself or help train your child. And yeah. that's really where my personal football coach was born. Uh, started about four years ago. Uh, I left Chelsea about three years ago now or something like that just because I was too busy and I really wanted to concentrate on my personal football coach. 
and uh, we work with obviously it's out there it's an app so it's uh, available for players and individual and parents we also work with clubs uh, a lot of clubs we work with LA Galaxy and Wolverhampton Wanderers it's a it's a resource that we're part of our club partnership and we work with grassroots clubs in England and America all around the world as well and they as a way to support club uh, player and uh, coach development in their clubs and uh, yeah, spending most of the time with that really and trying to develop that and get it out there. So, I mean, most of my time now is spent on, on my personal football coach as, as, a, as a resource. All right, so there's a pretty rich history there. So to get yeah, you where you are it, today, yeah, lots so, going on. Yeah. Where did you start in the States? Where were you? I was in, in New York, Long Island. Started in New Long Island, spent a year there and then spent a year in Jersey City, in New Jersey, which is amazing. So then this is 10 years ago, we shot. It was 2002, 2003. Oh, so uh, yeah, so, so and a while ago. soccer out there is was different. It is different. I don't know really. I mean, I was like blown away really in terms of like well, the first thing you notice is the resources and the infrastructure and the organisation and the respect given to it. It's fantastic, you know. And there's so many players there, so many grassroots players, really good players. Uh, maybe what you find is that as they get a little bit older, maybe the quality doesn't match what it is here. But I mean, in terms of um, the provision there and the experience, there's a, there's a real great, strong soccer culture out there. Which I, I, really, I really love being out there. It's fantastic. I was really lucky. And a great place to cut your teeth, right? To start well, that's what I said. I mean, that, you know, when people ask me, you know, should they go to America? I said, it's, it's invaluable because you'll struggle to get that many hours on the grass here in this country. And, you know, like I said, coaching for three, four hours, six hours a day sometimes. And, you know, we spoke about earlier about, you know, that understanding how to manage groups, manage individuals. And yeah. when I came back, you know, it was easy. I just hit the road running. And, it was, you know, that's why, you know, those hours, those two years really you know, put me on a good road in my career. Well, for some people, I'd imagine that two years is probably like six or seven years for them, isn't it? To get them many hours under your belt in that. Well, in that exactly. Time. I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, even the 10,000 hours, which is often derided now, but I mean, what, if maybe not a particular number, but I mean, obviously the, whatever the hours are, it's a lot to become an expert in whatever you're doing. And, you sure. know, and that's, that's a really important part of it. If it's okay, we'll talk a bit more about the my personal football coach stuff in a second, just to make it a bit yep. clear what it is and how it works. I've seen it and it's fantastic, but we'll just, if you don't mind, share a bit more. But before we get to that, I'm interested to know about, um, you can't not listen to just one of your podcast episodes, if not, you know, or any of them really to get, you, te- you're obviously very technically focused about your, that's a passion for you, isn't it? And I wondered if that was, were you like that from the outset? Was that because the way you played football or just because that's what you grew into? Or did you kind of find that's the space that really was, maybe it needed to be filled? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, I was that sort of player. Right. I couldn't really run properly, uh, you know, and, and I, was, I was, you know, grew up in inner city London, playground player in the, you know, in the cages, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that was very much the culture I came from. Well, wasn't we didn't really fit in well into a structured environment. It was a bit of a rebel, maybe whatever. Just you know, yeah. wasn't conforming. So when I, I was quite fortunate when I went to America, and I worked with Tim Bradbury, who's been on the podcast, and he's like a you know, he's a visionary, still a mentor, an amazing uh, someone I look up to. He fortunate enough had this philosophy, which is very much built around creating supporting technical footballers around one v one ball mastery, one v one domination. So I just fell into that. I thought, wow, this is me. You know, we're just we're working with players, getting them to take players on, lots of one v ones, and you know, we'd be doing the coaching, you know, coach development sessions against other coaches, and we're just doing loads of dribbling. I'm taking on players, and this is what I used to do anyway. It's like you know, getting to take players on nutmeg and beat them, whatever. Yeah. So so so, and I just you know, and I was I was at that time I was a bit of a blank slate when I came there. I hadn't really done any formal coach education so I just thought that's the way he did it so I mean so I really just like took to it like a duck to water if you like and that was you know and I did it and then it was interesting because when I came back to England uh, that was the way I was coaching and like I said that's that time at Spurs which I've talked about a lot of the time they'd had a change in the academy management and um, 
you know, John McDermott was there and he very much, they would, they, and Chris Ramsey were, had implemented a program of ball marshal 1v1. So I came in and I was just doing that anyway. And I was like, I was like, wow. So, and so like, then that really helped me accelerate my, uh, my, my position through the academy, which was which I was very fortunate fortunate of. So a bit of right place at the right, right time, time, but yeah. you've got to literally know what you're doing as well, I suppose. Yeah, and I'm sure to be fair to Spurs, they're going to take on people that they knew were right for what they wanted at the moment in time as well. So they wouldn't well, have taken on someone like that. It's funny you. because, I mean, what Spurs, what we were, we were doing there at the time, no one else was doing in the yep. country. Yep. And they had a, you know, they had a, a catchphrase which was fitfo basically, and it was fit in or F off. Right. And so <laughs> when they came and they swept the boards, because it's difficult maybe to understand but I mean it's, it's a very not, it's not a very conventional way of coaching in England doing this you know so you know English coaches going through the conventional process of education through the FA would maybe not have you know really been able to adapt and understand it so you know yeah. it was fortunate for me because I came from a different environment um, and then I was able to go in there I'm saying that listen, I came back and did my FA uh, two three and stuff which were amazing really helped me really yeah. powerful but because i had you know that different grounding as well really well, I was i was really i was fortunate i think yeah makes sense yeah superb i, I want to dig a lot more into that that's okay but before we do can you just you've given us the highlights to the my personal football coach stuff that you're doing it's the app and things but we, are you happy to explain a bit more about how it works and maybe how clubs can use it players can use it yeah so just... i mean it started off really a bit of a brain dump just lots of individual practices going to go there and train yourself it's the idea is that very much you can go and create a one one-to-one session by yourself anywhere you're else. So you train yourself basically it's just it's about the player and the ball uh, and then we evolved it a little bit and understood to make it a little bit more easy to use we created like a course so the idea you log in you work through 30 sessions and it's very much each session is broken down into five six seven or eight different videos a ball mastery warm-up learning a skill and then a multiple outcome practice so the idea is that you know it's idiot proof if you like you can log in and you can do it and it's for all it's for players of all ages abilities beginners we've got age appropriate courses five to sevens eights to elevens twelve to sixteen seventeen plus and the idea there and then you know we have bonus content on there extra technical challenges ask the coach stuff so where i you know give hints and tips you know about tactical things positional play whatever the idea so we just really just you know loads and loads of content on there you're never going to get get shy on the content so that's how it started up and then we uh started linking with clubs and then uh so Wolverhampton Wonders was the first pro club that came on board which was really powerful really important and great and they started using their foundation phase so the idea is that you know all the players get on the app and uh then we then through that it's interesting through the Wolves experience they, they, the feedback coming back from those guys was, you know, we, we love this, but how are we going to integrate into our team sessions as well? And they were like, okay, so we created a coach's pass. So the idea is that this was a coach's resource as well. So that really ties in. So the idea is that that's basically a library of hundreds of videos of, you know, ball mastery exercises, skills, how to volley, how to shoot. And then also then we started introducing team exercises as well, which is very much 1v1 centric, but there's other things as well, like uh, defending, but it's very much, uh, you know, 1v1 small side game centric. So the idea is that then now here, you know, you can then bring these into your sessions. So that now we work, we have a, you know, a situation where we've got, you know, we, we work with players individually with the, with the app. We've got the coaches pass with the players and then we've got the club partnership with the, so we, the, everyone gets the app and all the, the coaches get the, um, the, the club, the, uh, the coaches pass as well. And recently, just recently, I've, I released a, a course as well, an e-learning course. And that's an e-learning course built around 1v1 uh, ball mastery and small-sided games. So understanding the, you know, the, the theory behind it and how to effectively use it, not just like drills. So a lot of the, a lot of the soft skills as well about, organization because obviously my, my background obviously being a teaching as well you know I came back and I was while working at Spurs got my teacher training I was a primary school teacher 
So I understand a little bit about the theory about teach about you know children's learning as well. So the idea about the course is just not only you know skills and drills; it's literally about the soft skills, about how to organise your group, how to get technical outcomes. You know things like ball to player ratios, which are really important, and making sure you know players are learning, but also having fun as well. Superb! Wow, there's loads in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so just to be clear, so obviously you got the, you got the player stuff, which sounds spot on, and um, the players can log on, work through that, challenge themselves, and all ages and stages, and they can keep pushing and learning and getting better individually yeah. on the ball. You have got the coaches pass, so that's more for the coach to understand what the players will be doing and working on. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, and this, yeah, um, lots of libraries of different skills and ball mastery. So for instance, like you said earlier, you know, if I want to think, oh, I want to do some ball mastery exercises, where you can go and look through, you know, library li- yeah. of lots of different ones. Excellent. And the e-learning um, yeah. is that for the players or for coaches? That's, that's for the co- that's a coach's, coaches course. To so understand. So, yeah, so it's pretty unique. It's the only one around, I think. But it's an e-learning course. Yeah. Uh, it's five modules yeah. about the skills, coaching, breaking down one v one, ball mastery, small sided games. Okay. And there's some full sessions. The idea, so you know. Now, unfortunately enough, I've been banging the drum so much. One v one now seems to be becoming very much in vogue again. You know, which you know, which was which wasn't a few years ago. So I think it's important to just understand, you know, the some maybe common misconceptions, some errors, and actually yeah. understand how to put an effective practice on. We're going to get quality outcomes and understanding a bit of the theory behind one v one and okay. you know how to you know how to structure it properly. Definitely. So, and I imagine that particularly for newer, younger coaches that are starting out on that journey, this would be ideal. Yeah, but, like, I mean, but also experience. Yeah, but also like we just said, you know, it's like you know you're not going to get any of this on an FA course. No, you know, I've, no. I, and, I've, and you know, that's changing quite recently, which is much good, which is good. But until very recently, you know, one v one, you know, on my youth model, like I said, there was no, I was told there's no such thing as one v one in football. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, hopefully we can, again, dig a bit deeper in some of the stuff that's on there. I don't want to nick all the ideas. No, don't <laughs> want people to sign up for it, right? <laughs> yeah. But we'll touch on some of the stuff. Um, but, you, and before we do, you mentioned about, obviously, your background in uh, education and stuff. And we, we have a similar background on that yeah. in some ways. Um, what's your thought and how important it is to have that understanding about child learning and child development as much as knowing about the technical ability around the, the, the support you're coaching? Yeah, I think it's really important and powerful. And like I said, it's... It, like having that we're starting coaching and going into teaching always gave me let me hit the ground running there but I think you know being I spent much of my career especially in academy football as a foundation phase specialist and working with primary age children and being a primary school teacher not like nothing wrong with not I'm not wasn't a PE teacher I was a classroom teacher teaching all different you know subjects understanding how children learn all those ideas behind that I think it's really powerful you know and and it's it's interesting thinking about the current climate which I know we're going to go on to in a little bit but understanding why there's a little bit of friction between how sports scientists look at the you know how children learn and how the teach you know teaching profession does you know and and you know and it's quite interesting to understand and see the differences in that as well but in answer to your question yeah I think it's really powerful and it's it's really it's really just uh, held me in good stead yeah Career. superb good stuff well i think we say to our coaches quite a lot look before you worry about the sport itself you look, worry about how how the kids learn because yeah. you've got to know that because it makes it so much easier you could be it's like a teacher you might have all the knowledge in the world but if you can't manage the classroom right you won't get it out there anyway yeah so having having that side is, is a is a great help i think for coaches all right so now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty the technical stuff okay. we mentioned before we put the mics on that obviously mark's not here unfortunately but um <laughs> Uh, Mark and I are very similar in many ways we approach our coaching and we, 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 we're trying to learn we try and make it player centred and we, we try and give the best possible learning experience with the players 
Um, I think if there's one slight variance that we're on, and we, he mentioned every podcast episode, it's probably around the technical stuff that we do. And he he's very, we both understand it all, but I probably go straight into more 1v1 technical stuff and, and the boys learn that within an opposed environment yeah. where, I, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like you, your position is a bit more on, you know, actually, you know what, just get them good on the ball in, in lots of different ways, maybe even before the 1v1 stuff. And so please, if I've got that wrong, please let me know. But I just wondered, you know, when you talk about technical coaching, what does that look like to you? And um, if you were watching someone coach it, how could they coach it in a way that you thought, ah, they're doing a good job there? It's, it's, it's difficult to say, really, because I don't, both of you are doing both. I'd say neither of you are doing it wrong. Okay. So it's just about how you suppose so you've got to think about uh, when and where to do that sort of stuff and what's the most effective use of your time and the player's time. So if you've got players once a week for an hour you know is it really that effective to be having them doing lots of unopposed work within that session probably not but I still say there's always you always got to give players opportunities to have the ball individually and especially when they're starting out on their journey at the beginning so it's about but like I said understanding when and where to do it and this is like where homework comes in but even if it's just a short time five or ten minutes in the warm-up giving players time on the ball to learn how to to deal with it and learn how and and build that relationship and I think there's, that's one of the other big misconceptions about ball mastery it's not just about building technique on the ball it's also about supporting players movement with the ball which is really important so we talk about you know improving their balance their agility their speed and their explosiveness especially when you're moving up but even that basic level so you know we, we talked about I know we're going to talk about passing, but they see that it's so powerful. So even, you know, we talk about passing with the weak foot, for instance, or any sort of technique with the weak foot. If I haven't built my stabilizer muscles and built that balance on the ball with that weak side, it's going to be a lot harder. So even those little movements with the ball when I'm doing a little bit of ball mastery with my weak side, that's building all those areas and that's building into that as well. So it's understanding what, what, why we're doing it, but also then saying when we're going to do it. You know, so then that's that's always the challenge, really. So, you know, for instance, if I was doing a session now, so for, so, you know, for instance, a session when I was at Chelsea, I'd do a session now, you know, I'd find time to do that five or ten minutes ball mastery. Everything else would be opposed, you know. Yeah. But then, and but it's just about, you know, and then so for instance, you know, it might be so I'm doing a 1v1 challenge, but my active recovery would be two players passing, bang, 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 to work yeah. on the passing technique. So, so it's about being creative and understanding when to use it and using those times in those sessions and avoiding like cues and players standing around and wasting time. It's all about ball rolling time. But players still need to build that relationship and they still need to build that technique and that, that basic technique. You'll never ever see me doing a passing drill where you're going to get players pass to one cone, pass to another cone, pass that because it's boring. And also I don't really actually think it's, it's that really effective. It's much more effective to have two players in, in a pair to pop, 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 yeah. 20 passing, 20 passing there and then move on to your next thing. So working in a high intensity sort of environment, getting that, so it's more cognitively challenging and, and still getting those quality outcomes. Sounds sounds great. That's a really good point you made, I think, there. So you, I guess one thing as coaches maybe I could certainly get better at is um, I could have a, I could have a game going on with half the players and I could have half the players working in small groups doing some ball school stuff while they're waiting to come onto the game. Is that what you mean? Like using the time cleverly in which yeah, you Yeah, it's get... just about when and where to do it. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's like we all we see those quality outcomes and, you know... Uh, in those more game situations, but it's like, you've got to understand like, um, it's, it's, like Douglas Moff makes a great point in his, one of his excellent books, you know, you know, don't confuse activity for learning. Yeah. You know, it's in the same thing. So just cause people are in a game doesn't mean they're learning. So, you know, you've got support players. Sometimes you need to drag it. And it's, as you all know, your teacher about scaffolding it, you yeah. know? Yeah. 
understanding when and where to do it, you know, and, and you know, Vygotsky, you know, if you want to use theory and stuff like that about that zone of proximal development, say, okay, now I can go and go and sort of take it in. So maybe say, you know, look, I can see that boy, he can't kick the ball with his weak foot. So maybe saying I could come, so maybe in the warm up, you know, do that and say, right, your challenges, can you come every night, do 10, 20 passes against the wall, that sort of thing. So you still need to support it, but it's about being creative and doing when and where to do it. And like I say, so, you know, you talk about your 1v1s. I mean, that's a great opportunity because, you know, you have to look at the work to rest ratios. It's a high intensity work. It's very physically demanding. So you need to give players recovery, but it's about what sort of recovery you give them. And that yeah. could be an opportunity to then do, okay, just a simple, you know, between two half base, but popping it, popping it in. So for instance, to give you, when we used to work at Tottenham with Chris Ramsey, we used to have the thing called 75s, which was 25 on the strong foot, 25 on the weak foot, 25 on both feet in pairs, bang, 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 bang. High intensity, right, you move on. So but as part of the warm up. Yep. So you get, you need to build that physical capability to be able to strike the ball, whether it's a pass or it's a shot. But then it's to say, you know, you just don't want to, you know, if you've got an hour and a half session, you don't want to spend half an hour just on people static and striking and that's one of the challenges right yeah. with the 25 or the 75 was it 25 of one skill and then the no, other no, so 25 combinations... just like two partners passing 25 oh, right foot, uh, 25 left you. foot yep 25 both feet and then we do this thing called 642 which would be that's six cross four sedans four yep. step overs two together bang 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 yep. so just getting the muscle memory quality and yeah. people say muscle memory is, is not it's rubbish People, of course it is. I mean, you need that physical capability. And that's the other thing about what we do these turns and people misunderstand it and maybe who don't work with young players or come from other sports. You know, we work them. When I'm working with a player, we're doing ball mastery. You know, we're supporting them in discovering these different ways to move. They'll pick their own weapon. They'll pick their own movements. Yeah. But especially when we players move up, the ability to move laterally is really important. The ability to move flexible. And you see English players are really wooden generally, Northern European compared to, you know, Latin players and stuff like that. But it's interesting when I go and I watch an academy who do lots of ball mastery, I can see the difference in terms of how the players move and you can do it. And it's, you know, and it's, that's a really interesting fact and, you know, a uh, thing to think about, you know, and that takes consistent work. Yeah. But it's really powerful thinking about how players, you know, you look at like a Jaden Sancho or something like that. You know, we can produce players like this. And yeah. if you go to academies where ball mastery is uh, very much part of the culture, all the players move like this in the foundation. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting to see that. And that's the link between the physical literacy stuff and the technical ball work they're doing. Exactly, yeah. And that's yeah. that's what people don't, maybe they fail to say. You know, people have heard, said to me, say, or people say it's touches for touches sake. Well, it's not. And, you know, and that's the other thing, you know, I saw a thing on Twitter about there was uh, Douglas Costa, you know, did a, an elastico on someone and, and they gave the ball away and it's like oh yeah but he should be in a circus he gives the ball away he should have passed because, yeah but he's misunderstanding the point I mean maybe you know if you can empower players to to beat players and have this ability you know it's not always going to come off yeah but I mean you know there's a saying at Ajax you know let's talk about Ajax and then they say you know a good 1v1 beats any formation or any tactic so it's about understanding why why you're doing it when you're doing it and having a reason to do everything and not just spending half an hour doing we don't want to create freestylers yeah and it's, but it's about having a you know target saying this is why we're doing this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. So I, and I mean I'm, I'm getting a bit ranting there, but no, no, it's all good. <laughs> I'm sitting, taking, I'm making my loads of notes and taking it all in because I'm going to be honest here. And I'm, you know, however much I did value or do value technical work, and I know I need to get better at delivering it for my players. I'll be honest with you. I probably didn't put the association with the physical literacy as close as I should have done. So you just mentioned it now, yeah. you know, and, and I would imagine if you watch one of my sessions, you're probably quite frustrated watching it because I probably do some okay technical stuff with the players and we'll, we'll spend a, a reasonable amount of time doing some stuff, but I probably wouldn't be doing it at kind of the sharpness and the, you know, the, the not just the body movement, but also the explosiveness and the way in which it would really transfer in something effective as a tool yeah, for them to you, use. In yeah. But match. you've got to think that it's, a, it's, you know, every player's on a journey. So I said, it's a lot like, you know, I work, you know, this week, 
tweet with a Premier League player, like yeah. an international, and I work maybe, you know, if I could work, I work with a beginner. Stuff I do actually, maybe it's not that much difference. The difference is going to be the outcomes and how exposed they are. So it might not be th- together. This about building that relationship, getting a little bit more, you know, a little bit more yeah. explosive, a little more quicker, using that weak side a bit. And then you always have one player in the group, okay, can you demo it? You know, maybe you show us a skill. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, you show us that, right? You know, and, and the most powerful thing is, you know, modeling, you know, peer yeah. modeling. And that's how people learn. So, you know, create an environment where, has encouraged to do skill. That's what, we, that's what we did really well when we were at Spurs that time where, you know, you come and look at a session, it was like watching Brazil at the time, you know, when Brazil were good. But, <laughs> but like, you know, and, you know, all like flamboyance and, you know, and they had that freedom to do that. And it was amazing to watch. And then they, obviously then, they, then the, the trick is then carrying that through into your game and giving them the opportunity to do that in your game as well. Yeah. And have you seen then, obviously there's players that you're working back at Spurs now, a few years back, have come through. It's been successful? Yeah, well, look, you know, Oliver Skip was in those years where I worked with. He's broken through now. You know, if you're talking about players coming through, and you know, you look at that 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 generation that we worked with. You know, now there's not that many academies producing better players than those t- sort of yeah. technical players. So you yeah. know, that's what that's why I'm always interested when I have this debate with people who say, you know, oh well, yeah, but you know, everything should be game basically. Well, look, look at the reality. Yeah, you know, look at Ajax. I've yeah. been Ajax four times. You know, in the last few years, it's like look what they do. It's like just have a look. So you talk all this thing, you know, but actually look at, you know, people talk about an evidence-based approaches are fine, but look what actually is going on at the ground. Yeah. And, and you can't, you know, you can't question, you know, things like this because you look at in terms of like their player per capita they're producing, you know, look at, you know, other academies, you know, you just got to look at what's going on, you know. And it's about having a balance and understanding that. Yeah. How would the IX model compare to what we're doing over here now? I mean, I, I, I know they're very technically based. More so than the more technical clubs over here? Or? Yeah, much more based. Yeah, I mean, yeah ridiculous yeah. more. So like, you know, there's foundation phase very much based around ball mastery lots of 1v1 loads of small sided games yeah. you know and they still move it quick and you know, but as they get a bit older it's much more rondo based much more you know you watch the older groups it looks exactly like what you see in England yeah. but the younger groups is much much more different much more you know uh, individual with a ball 1v1 2v2 3v3 4v4s but it's interesting you watch them play games on the weekend and they still move the ball quick do you know what I mean they yeah. still move it so and they still yeah. like big spaces so. yeah so you've got the balance quite right yeah but um, so for us then, I mean, I guess a lot of the coaches that listen to our podcast and for Mark and I as well, we've got our players maybe once or twice a week, for, you know, if we're lucky, maybe a couple of hours. Um, I'm not trying to make excuses by any stretch of imagination and anything from probably under sixes up to under 14s, 15s, 16s. Yeah. If you were in our shoes, if you don't mind me asking, how would you approach this? I mean, and I'm sure, don't get me wrong, part of this would be about actually the homework bit and using other resources like what you've yeah. got available but in the coaching with the players what would a session look like with you around technical stuff and how would you approach so it? I mean yeah so my session would be pretty much any age I'd do you know I'd, I'd do a ball based warm up into you know some ball mastery and you know, like a 10 to 50 minutes 50 minutes of ball mastery maybe into progressing into twos where you're passing and moving and then doing some turns as well progressing into a 1v1 basically you know then 2v2s 3v3s 4v4s 5v5s yeah. that for me that's you know I think we go I think well, as they get older as the players no, no, that's, in the session that'd be, that'd be the session to bring the session out into a bigger so that'd be session, so we're almost you know layering the session if you like yeah. so okay. you like very much one ball each then one ball between two then 1v1s and maybe th- or 2v2s but a small sided format you know data you know there's the you know look at the Man United 4v4 project you just look at this so it talks about the the, the, the outcomes of a 4v4 compared to an 8v8 yeah. in terms of like this 1v the skillful outcomes much like so many more shots so many 1v1 so many more skills and I think the, I think the problem in this current environment is that people will train an under nine team they go right let's go into an 8v8 yeah. it's just a nonsense yeah. 
and that's the thing this and this is where i think science and practice breaks down is that people say yeah but so many decisions it's like yeah but none of them are related to the ball so you, that's where you, you, you almost got to decide what do I want, what do, outcomes do I want to get on the player. So I'd rather play two 4v4s than an 8v8 and then get lots more decisions on the ball, a lot more skillful outcomes, a lot more playground type outcomes, a lot more specific for that age group. And then and there's just no rush. There's no, there's no need to rush. Yeah. And look at child development as well and how children are developing at that time as well. So I think there's t- people often rush. Listen, and some people do that. Some cultures, you know, they'll play and they kind of they'll play, you know, it works for them. But for me, I prefer to give players a bit more freedom bit more time on the ball to express themselves and have, like I say, those playground outcomes are what really interests me. They're the ones that, they're the sort of players, you know, the assets you want players to, you know, that Champions League level. Talk about creating Champions League players or even just, you know, players like taking players on and being, having the freedom rather than being, okay, 8v8, I'm going to run around and, you know, I'm never going to touch the ball when it does come, move it quick, move it quick like a hot potato. I just don't think that's a conducive environment for young players. It's funny, so because there's been more conversations recently and you're closest than I am, I'm sure, where it seems to be after many years of, of appreciating maybe that small-sided game format and the relevance and, and the, the benefits it gives, especially to younger players, there's now talk of it actually trying to go the other way. I, I've heard about you know the more value in having 9v9s and 11v11s at younger age groups. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sold on that by any stretch. Well, that's, well, that's the thing. So when I was on the, the, the Advanced Youth Awards, which was an amazing course, but the you know Mark Williams, who's a big, you know he's one of the sports scientists who's really pushing the high contextual interference conditions, he talked to me and he said, well, yeah, under nine should be playing 11 v 11 because yeah. it's closer to the game but that's why I think there's a breakdown between science and practice or maybe science people from those practitioners and people practitioners from teaching yeah. they'll say it just doesn't make sense yeah. and, and you'll see that and you can say yeah but it's, and it's close to the game that they'll make decisions and it's good, but they're, not having, you know, they're going to have no technique to carry out the decisions yeah. and like I said we'll go back to Doug Lamoff who talks about in his uh in his great in his great book Practice Perfect, you know, he talks about you know that ability for players to build that skill to have, have high level thinking and doesn't come without that strong skill set. So that was always my philosophy, and and the thing for me is that we proved it. You know, yeah. for me, you know, I, I'm not talking you know out of research or theory. I'm talking about practice, practice and yeah. we've done this, and I still do this, you know, day to day. You know, we've been through them and we created World Cup winners. You know, that 17s. You know, we know how you know what we're doing. And that's a theory, but like I said, other people do it. But for me, it's just I think we rush too quickly into that. This is really important. When you get to you know 11s and 12s, the game opens up into 9v9. You've got to start helping the players a little bit more. Thinking about okay, now it's, the game's got bigger. But as it, when it's smaller, for instance, 7v7, I don't like that format. We much prefer a 6v6 or a 5v5. But you know, you've just got to you know think about what's you know like we said earlier. You know who who you're doing it for? Is it for you or is it for the players? So, so why? Because we we move obviously from five to seven aside for, uh, under nines. Why don't you like seven aside? I just find six v six is a lot more. It's a lot. You get a, it's just. I just prefer the outcomes of a six v six. Okay. That smaller side of games. You play a lot tighter pitch. Seventy seven opens up. Seventy seven is good, and let's get even. I fell into it. You know, it's, it's, you, you becomes a lot more team based, possession based. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas six v six, you know that, or five v five, just tight. It's just a lot more freedom, a lot yeah, more like yeah. playground type. Yeah, players get onto where you sense. have you play a relatively big pitch. You've got to, you know, you you know, you've got to help the players, and that's about moving the ball a bit quicker. And you know, do you think as as a country, there's a general statement here, uh, have we improved a lot around this technical training side of things? And I mean across all levels. Uh, the England teams, the, the, especially the, the youth ones, have been phenomenal the last few years, and they've done really, really well. And obviously, the national team itself has has, has had some great achievements. Um, do you think we, we've made some good progress on that? Well, you could, yeah. I mean, listen, you can't deny it. You look at the success of the inner teams, and that has come directly from the academy system. 
So, you know, and I'm really proud to have been involved in that and the peers and, you know, all the clubs, they've, you know, you know, the P when that came in, I remember being at Tottenham when that first came in and that really did drive this success and not, you know, and that generation's, a, you know, that is a real direct result of that in terms of, you know, more money into it and, and improving the conditions, the environment, more professionalism from all the coaches and you see the, the you know, the fruits of all that coming, yeah. bearing fruit there, that, you know, all, that, all these quality technical players because, you know, look at that, I made this point a lot that under 17s World Cup winners, you know, all of those boys who played that day were in the academy system at eight and nine, yeah. which is amazing. You know, and people talk about, you know, the structured environments, you can't develop these sorts of players and that's rubbish because all these players came through that and it's a testament to all the fantastic work going in, the, in academies all around the country. Yeah, for sure. And have they changed so as well, do you think? I mean, I, I, there was always some scary stats around that, the actual success rates from number of players that were going to the academies under nines and actually coming out and signing pro contracts or whatever age. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's obviously a tough thing to do anyway because it's a yeah. tough journey. Um, do, but do you think the academies have got better at the way yeah, they recruit I, I think, and the way they support players? Yeah, I think definitely. You, you, I mean, one, firstly, it depends on what club you're looking at. Yeah, so if you're looking enough. at Chelsea, if you're lucky enough to go through, you've got, you know, you've got likely you're going to get pro contract. Yeah. You know, so that's, obviously that's not every club. Same as similar, you know, same Ajax, the big academies, you go through, you've got a big chance. I think, uh, I mean, if you look at, the, I was fortunate to work at two amazing academies at Chelsea and Tottenham and it really was a holistic approach into player development and, you know, improving the individual, not just the player, supporting them all the way through, you know, it's great work going on in clubs in terms of supporting them if they do fall out, what they're going to do with it. And it's not just about, you know, creating technical players, it's about creating, you know, good human beings and yeah. that sort of thing. So that's, that for them, for, for me, those the academies are doing really much, much better in that as well. Yeah. This is difficult. I mean, look, it's not a perfect system. It's really can be really ruthless. You know, they can do that. I mean, but that's like any you know sporting environment, or you know, even like you know, acting school, whatever like that. You it's know, people want to try to do it. It's really competitive. Yeah. So it's about looking after those players in there, giving them the best education you can do, not just football, but you know, life experiences, and trying to you know, create nice you know, good human beings who, who you know who can progress in life as well. Yeah, makes total sense. Um, question for you then so one of the challenges we have um, working the grassroots game is the pressure in inverted commas of having to win games at the yeah. weekends um, we spoke about this in one of our episodes about I don't think there's, winning is not the issue here I think it's for me personally it's about how much coaches are willing to compromise the potential result of a game for the development of their players yeah. can you see that as a challenge for, for coaches at that level and and I'm not saying to be sympathetic towards it by any stretch of imagination, but do we need to kind of get over ourselves a little bit as coaches uh, of grassroots teams, especially the younger ones, and just say, look, if you're keeping your players on the ball, yes, it's going to probably mean they're going to make mistakes. The pros do that. We've seen that yeah. at the pro level. But actually, bear with it because the fruits of the labour will benefit or will benefit you two, three, four years ahead. Maybe yeah. sooner than that. But I, mean, it's, I think it's difficult. I think it'll be realistic. So you know, if you're fortunate enough to work in an academy environment who has that you know philosophy, they they don't they might not care, and, and you, you know you know people you have to answer to is really you know one. They say you know this is our philosophy, this is what we believe to do. Yeah. I think when you're working in grassroots, it's a bit more tricky because you have the parents and you about yeah. also recruitment's important, retainment and that sort of thing. So you probably need a balance, and that was the main you know that's I mean that is always really is the main you know thing is about trying to educate the parents. Do you know what I mean? Because I mean, it's the children as well saying that you know, because no one likes getting tonked every week, I suppose. But but I mean, yeah, it's a it's a it's a balance. It's a bit of a balancing game. But you've just got to believe in what you're doing. And, and listen, you know, it doesn't have to be you know that way. You can say, look, okay, look, we're still going to coach the team, but we still work on the individual as well. You know, and having a bit of balance. Doesn't have to go. You know, maybe when I was reflecting when I first started, like I said at Spurs, it was very much you know, 
we didn't care about results. Chris Ramsey said, you know, winner doesn't matter. And I said, we, you know, and so, but I mean, but then when I went to Chelsea, that was a very different environment. You know, the team was more important. The winning was more important. So it's about having a bit of a balance on both, but then they yeah. still want to do the individual. So you still have to, you know, it depends where you are and, and you know, at the, the end of the day, who you got to answer to really. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. And um, before we look at passing, just, we, we mentioned skills uh, and you know, there's obviously an array of skills we can teach the players. Would you suggest there were some that are more effective than others? Not, I totally get that every individual is a bit different, but yeah. would you say, look, actually, you know what, Scott, you've got to teach your kids X, Y, and Z because these are the ones that either because they're physical literacy development or they're yeah. patient techniques. Is there things you say, these are the have-dos? Or- yeah, I think for me, there's like, um, there's certain skills. If, the, if you look at the modern game, there's skills that use more than other skills. So you use almost like I say these are the core movements or core skills which other skills come from basically. So, you know, we're talking about cuts, inside cuts, outside cuts, Cruyffs, uh, Maradonas, Ronaldo's, Grinches. These are real the core skills that you look. These are the most used skills in in football. You know those sort of things. So teach and what you'll find these are like the basic movements, lateral movements, 180 degree turns, side to side, diagonals. So you almost teach those, and then what we say is, then players can go and then go and develop them. So I think there's definitely for me there's eight eight core skills that I use that they're really important. And then, you know, then, and then we'll all different skills come, but there's infinite different, you know, variations. Sure. Yeah. But they're definitely, the, you know, the, my own research I've done, you look at it, there's definitely a hierarchy of skills that are used in terms of the fluency like, in, yeah. in, in games. And then essentially, because you can look at different positions, obviously I work with a lot of pros, you know, we look at position-specific stuff as well. So for position, working, for instance, I'm working with a centre midfielder, we look at certain movements or types of skills that are used at the top level and you can see those patterns emerging. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and what about age then? So, I mean, you know, would you take, like you said, it's sort of different for the ability that the, the players are at. But if you take like a, an under six, you know, or if we go for, say, from under sixes and then like under eights, under tens, how should our, how would you, how would you advise our coaching approach to change around technical training with regards to either the amount of what time we give it or the, the, the techniques they're doing? Should it change or would it be like actually quite consistent regardless of the age? Yeah, I mean, it's just what you'll see is it depends. Maybe it's the ability. So okay. you might have a six to seven year old who's like, you know, really, you know, advanced. And then, yeah. you know, they're doing stuff that a seven, eight, nine year old do. So it's about where the players are, are at in, on their journey, I suppose. I mean, still, you, like I say, give the players a bit on the ball. If I'm working with sixes and sevens, it's just going to be some ball mastery. And it's all going to be 1v1s and 2v2, yeah. 3v3s, nothing more than that, you know. Yeah. And just because that's obviously you look at the terms of child development, you know, in terms of their ego state, that's you want them on the ball. Yeah. So then you obviously got to look at that and how that reflects on that as well. Obviously, as you get older, the game's changing. There's different, you know, players have different needs, but then it's about understanding how you can still hit those spots with those sorts of players. So, yeah. as you know, for instance, you know, I I do a lot of work with you know young like academy players and pros as well, and it's about you know working and refining on those techniques which they maybe don't get the time to do in training. So I use this example a lot. I worked with a young Premier League player last year who's um, played as a wide forward, <clears throat> and we just worked on his delivery. You know, and so you know his main weapon was you know they wanted he played. For a Premier League club, that play four four two a lot. He played out wide, and he just got to get the ball in, into the danger zone. So his main weapon was that getting ball out box and whipping it in the box. Yeah. So he worked a lot on his technique, different variations, and then every time, every every before every single session he trained with, he'd do fifty on one side, fifty on the other side, yeah. and that's a, that's really important. The hand and how powerful because it's got to become you know an eight. It's got to become you know autonomous. I'm not even thinking about it, but that's his main weapon. Yeah. So that's what people as well don't understand about you know our you know everything should be in an opposed environment. We you know. 
pros don't work that way. You know, young players don't work that way. You know, I've got to understand. I need to do that. Honestly, you know, and, and people talk well about perception, coupling, action. I mean, there is still that going on. I've still got to understand how the ball relates to my body, how it flows in the air, how I'm going to receive it, you know, that sort of thing. So that's still going on. And it's a bit like what we said earlier about, you know, decisions about, you know, whether we're playing 11v11 or a 4v4. Sometimes I think it's quality over quantity. And understanding, well, yeah, I'm going to forgive that in terms of getting more of that because that's more important for me at the moment. That's my outcomes. And I think that's where it breaks down a little bit. That's why I think scientists sometimes get blocked through the data. They can't because they don't have the practice on the field, maybe on the grass. And I guess at that level you're working at with that particular individual, like that's player refinement there, isn't it? They're at that level of their or their stage in, yeah. in, in their football journeys. It's about fine-tuning now, isn't it? And yeah. so you need to get that level of detail. But for the younger ones, it's very much, let's show them as much as we can. Yeah, I mean, listen, yeah, so if I'm working with, you know, an eight or a nine, definitely it's much more generalised session, movement session. We're working all the different key areas, but, you know, all different types of 1v1, all different technical, those aspects. And then as you get a bit older and it becomes position specific, that's when you maybe hone in and say, okay, let's work on this position specific stuff. For instance, so we're working with a, you know, uh, a Premier League, like a Premier League player at the moment. So the idea is that it's really looking at that position and looking looking at patterns, what happened at the highest level, and then trying to think about that and then prepare for that and then get all those assets ready for the for the game. Yeah. Sounds good. And it's like, so for, you know, and people, you know, say, you know, working on this, for instance, on, on break, like cutting pressure or step over turn, I'm watching match a day, he does it on match a day. And I'm thinking, you know, that's, you know, people talk about, you know, how unopposed what doesn't work, you know, and it's about, well, you know, that's... You can see it for yourself. And, it's... you know, and that's the thing, you talk to any player at the highest level, you know, they all work away from the game. And again, Lamoff says about that, he goes, at the highest level, working and drill-based training away from games is almost a necessity rather than a choice for top players. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were going to go about unopposed and opposed, but I think you've covered it, to be honest with you. Oh, no, listen, I, for me, I think the problem is that the, the narrative is wrong. Yeah. People are going either or, and that's, that's the problem. And, you know, it's not about that. It's about when and where and what's the most effective time. It's about, you've got to do both, yeah. all right? And then obviously, you know, so like I said, the majority of my session, if I'm doing a team session, 80%, 90% is going to be an opposed of it, yeah? Maybe younger, but you still, players still need that time on the ball. They still need to build that relationship, you know, not only for the technique, for the movement as well. So it's understanding when and where to do it and what's the most effective time to do it. And that's why, you know, homework's become so important. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, real, it's a real key thing. But that's, I think that's a problem, you know, and people are building their careers on saying, oh, evil or and being an extremist. And, you know, extremism, you know, is everywhere at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah. Do you think one of the challenges... Um, and and probably why people who are on the opposed side of the argument do you think the challenge is to make the unopposed stuff engaging for their players well you know what it is i think i think i think it's another i think uh like we discussed earlier i think you can't teach an old dog new tricks right so if you come from a culture where you haven't done because people talk about unopposed and they think it's the passing drill and that's my problem. Say, so, well, it's not. The pass is not. It's ball mastery. It's one v one. Skill work. And, and like I said, you know, and Chris Ramsey's one of my mentors. I'm very blessed, you know, to work with him and still talk to him. Like he says, you know, you can't. These people have no understanding. They don't understand it. So people come and say, well, you know, it's like anything. Well, I have no. I don't understand that, so I'm not going to do it. And yeah. that's fair. And so I'm going to judge it. So then, and then we talk about it a lot and we say, well, why? Why isn't it? Why don't people engage it more? He goes, well, no one's telling them to. Like, you know, why don't people in the federation do it? Because they don't maybe have the people doing it, you know, as well. So that's why I think people, that's why I think it's, there's, it's, uh, there's a lot of, there's an information gap. Yeah. Because people say unopposed, oh, it's a passing job. Well, it's not actually. And it's about understanding ball mastery and 1v1, how powerful that is and how, you know, good yeah. it is. 
And that's what people will talk to me, you know, I'm working individual players. Yeah, but boy, you know, there's no, you know, perception action coupling going on. You know, what's, you know, there's no cognition. I go, yeah, of course there is, you know. With the ball. With the ball. <laughs> yeah. And it's understanding, you know. And, yeah. and so, you know, Frank Lampard, Lampard used to talk about all the time, you know, that's ball striking. It's so important. Just like, just, you know, and it's, and that's, that's a frustrating thing. So it's about, you know, and, and it's been, it's been, you know, the water's been muddied yeah. by these people who have no understanding of, they've never done it. And they're just talking, you know, without any in a reference point. It's frustrating. Or, or their perceptions, what they see in their exactly, heads. Exactly, yeah. And it's not actually reality. Well, that's what I mean. They actually, kids running around cones. Yeah, with exactly. Their feet, yeah, which exactly. isn't what you do. Yeah. And, you're, and that's the thing, you know, about. and people talk about cognition. And that's a real big part for me, working individually with players. Like, it's got to be cognitively challenged. And how do you do that? Obviously, about intensity. It's about challenging, constantly yeah. changing the environment, you know, and that sort of thing. So that's, that's a real challenge within itself. But then that comes with experience. So then, you know, my message for any grassroots coach saying would be, you know, it can you can be scared of it, this sort of thing, because you know, there's so many, so much, there's so much noise out there. But just do a bit of research and understand how to do it, and you can you can get those good outcomes. Yeah, good points. Um, the funny thing is, whenever you hear about a professional player that makes it, the first thing you usually hear is the amount of hours they put into training on their own. When you always hear, yeah. oh, you know, yeah, that, that that player would always go and do a session and spend an hour after hitting free kicks or doing these things. So the yeah. <laughs> player's done it for a long time, haven't they? So who are we to question? Well, essentially now, because what people then say, they say, oh, yeah, but it's not coach-led. Yeah. You know, it's only for themselves. <laughs> right. and, you know, so like, yeah. but that's the thing, you know, as a as an educator, as a coach, thing is about, you know, when and where. So I'm not saying, no, it's got to be here, you got there, you're slapping the fist. It's about yeah. saying, okay, this is a collaboration. We're working together. You know, I want you to come up with your own solutions, but maybe you need a little help or I can just support. And, and it's my, you know, when I'm working with all these pros now, these pros, they're, not, they're much better than me or how I ever was. I'm not saying you've got to do it, got to do that. I'm trying to create an environment where I can challenge them a little bit and get yeah. a little bit more out of them and yeah. support their movement. And that's my job. You know, I'm not saying, oh, let's do this, that. But we'll say, look, okay, look, if you look at, you know, the, the highest level, this is what players are doing. These are other, some other solutions. Should we try that as well? Yeah. But, I mean, that's, you know, it's a real, you know, it's, it's not about, you, you can never tell a player, right, you've got to do this skill, go now, right? we need to do a Ronaldo step over, double Ronaldo, and you've got to use it all the time because it doesn't work. I mean, I, part of my, my, master's, my master's in education did my dissertation around this, right? So I know that, so I understand that, but it's about giving players the ability to make their own choices, but giving them the tools to do it as well yeah. and the confidence they want to give it a exactly, go. Exactly, yes, and, and you, that's the word confidence, you yeah. know. Um, you know, a colleague of mine who's a caddy manager talked to you know to talk about te- talk about technical grooving. Yeah, and it give players confidence on the ball. Yeah, you know, if I'm getting a ball and I haven't, you know, I've got no relationship with it. How you, do you expect me to manage it? And and it's interesting because much of the culture now is built around okay, yeah, game base, which basically just means one or two touch football. Yeah, which is okay. Yeah. I mean, it's an important part, but the top players can get on the ball and stay on the ball. Yeah, and that's the key. Yeah, and that's the difference. So I work with under sevens, little kids, and no clearer to me has been this season about how big confidence is in the way they perform and stuff like that. With training or in matches, you know, the kids are the, and they're a cracking bunch of, of little players. But when they really excel, it's just because they've you know they've got that confidence inside. And when they're, ha- they're having a flat day for whatever reason yeah. it may be, something from home or school or something, you know, and it's not quite the same. They're just it's a massive impact on how they deliver their their ability on the ball, and it, the confidence is the biggest thing, I think. Well, that's look, that's your under sevens, that's your Premier League player as so, well. Yeah, it's same. The same. Way. Yeah, I mean that's you know, there's no you know that goes all the way through it's human nature, right? Thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like you know, but yeah, superb. Um, well, passing then, because yeah. I, I know you know and. Uh, having listened to your, your podcast episode, seeing your website and the things you do there around technical stuff, um, 
you know, what, what is your views on passing? When, when do we should, should we bring it into the into the game? What should it look like for you? Uh, so it depends, right? So when I was younger, maybe you know, I was an idealist. You know, we we wouldn't, for instance, we when we were at Spurs, we we didn't we didn't work on team possession once in the nines, yeah. but we still worked on passing seventy five because it's a key it's a key technique. But it's about I think it's important to understand sevens, eights, looking at children how they're developing, much more egocentric and maybe create an environment where they just let them have freedom on the board to make their own decisions. As you get an older, you move through the age groups, the game's changing. As you said, as the game opens up, it becomes much more important to then work on that team possession. So it's about having a balance, really, and answer your question. Look, passing is still a key thing. But what I've found in my experience is that it's a lot easier to coach players to play one or two-touch football if they're masters of the ball first. So that's why I think players go, people go a little bit too quick. Into, and I say this a lot when I'm presenting in conferences around the world about, look, for me, Pep, even though they got a bad result the other night, that's what football should look like, you know? Yeah. So that's what football looks like. But that we have to ask the question, is that what ch- children's football should really look like? So, you know, rondos and stuff like that, which are a real powerful tool, and I've used and I still do use, is, you know, is that the most effective way to coach the youngest players? Now, I'm not saying don't use rondos, but I'm just saying don't create an environment where, you, where the football's a hot potato and it's one or two touch yeah. with everything, which creates a pretty game. But is that really play in developing players? And they're going to have those same decisions. So it's about having a balance. balance yeah. So give them opportunities in 1v1s, in 2v2, 3v3, challenge them to try and stand ball. And it's interesting because I did, uh, when I work with players and I go and do, you know, um, coach ed and stuff like this, is that I go into an environment, I can tell players that straight away. So I'll set up a, you know, 1v1 or 2v2 and the players are already looking to make the pass. To, yeah. And that's the issue. The problem is that you need players to be able to solve the problem themselves. So creating practices where actually, no, you, you can't pass. And that's why, that's, you know, my thing at the moment is about, you know, this thing about rondos and overloads, everything around rondos and overloads, which is fine, but you've already, you've already given them the solution. Yeah. I want them players to be playing 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, but they have to create their own yeah. overloads. Yeah. They'd be able to get on the ball and create their, solve the problem themselves and not just give it and just be another man to do it. And I think that's, especially when working in the, higher levels that's really powerful yeah totally agree I think one of the dangers with um, taking passing out completely and just saying just stay on the ball is you take away that cognitive learning as well don't you yeah. even for the younger players you know, like, we encourage the players to stay on the ball as much as they can but if you need to you pass at the right time but you make that call as to when that is listen 1v1 looks lot, is, com- is completely different anyway around the pitch so Xavi was a great 1v1 player yeah. do you know what I mean so it's not saying look you know, you have to stand the ball. So yeah. can you stand the ball? If you want to give it, give it. You know, yeah. some players, you know, look at Carrick, you know, it's just natural. Boom, boom, you get it, you give it. And that's a great way to play. But it's about giving them the choice to make their own decisions. So, you know, if yeah. you want to dribble, you go, you want to pass it, good. It's, and they're having that balance. So as children develop and they can see that. And you'll see that, you know, you'll have dribblers, you have your passers. Different players prefer to play a different way. Yeah. It's about giving them an environment where they can all be successful in their own thing. Like I say, 1v1 looks a lot different as a, you know, maybe as I'm receiving and moving it around the corner and going again and again. There's, you know, rather than the misconception people have is one v one's just got to be me dribbling at a player and I'm taking doing twenty step yeah. overs and taking them on that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, it's very different and it's, and it looks different all around the pitch. And I say this a lot now. If you look at the top end, like the lit the other night in Ajax, every player, yeah. even the keeper, has to have one v one capabilities. Has to be comfortable on the ball. That's why it's so important yeah. that you don't just say. And that's why it's important to understand a bit about one v one and understand the theory behind it. It's not just you pass to a player and he draws 12 yards and takes someone on and then tries to shoot. Yeah. You know, it looks different and it's different all around the pitch. Well, my next question was going to be about goalkeepers, actually. Just wondering yeah. what your view was on goalkeepers, how that's changed recently. And so that... I think I'm actually bringing out a goalkeeper course for the oh, app, actually. Didn't so know I'm about, that. about okay. to film it in, uh, in, in uh, next month. Um, 
in LA when I'm out there. So well, how, what does that going to look like then? And, and so basically, I'm working with a friend of mine who's got who's who's got a great company called Big Cat Big Cat Keeping Goalkeeping. Okay. He's out in LA. So I, I've got a club. We work with LA Galaxy and also LA a Partner Club out there. So I'm going to do some other stuff while I'm out there. But while I'm there, I'm going to create a goalkeeper course. So the idea is that it's going to be a combination. Player course, so I'm going to do some ball work stuff specific for keepers about opening up some ball mastery, and then it'll be some individual keeper skills as well. So I've, I found that a lot. If you look at, as we say, the modern game, the keepers have to be really good on the ball. What you find, you know, you know, stereotype, if you're going to stereotype a session, the goalies are over there doing something, and all the other players are doing that. And I'm saying, no, you've, this this is really important for them. The ball mastery is like pivotal for these guys. They've got to be able to, you know, get, get use their feet. You know, yeah. you know, they're sweeper keepers these days. So. I think it's really. I think you know, they call you know. Conventionally, keepers have been over there. We actually want them in the technical sessions. You want that it's real powerful board. So we're going to create something which works on the hand skills, keeper skills, but also the foot skills as well. So it gives a bit more of a rounded approach to goalkeeper training. But yeah, answering your question is really important. You know, it's, you know, look at you know, especially in academy football now, the players now, you know, they are going up. You need to be able to play with your feet. It's a real power, important part of the game. Can you see keepers being even more involved as, as football? goes and goes on because like i get now they're being passed back to which is great but you could they become proper sweepers as the game well moves if on? you look at you know how pep's using them you know they are sweeper yeah. keepers so you know in an effort to create those overloads you know he's bring that ball out i mean yeah. you know they're and with the, the centre backs getting wide you've exactly got that. yeah and you know they put it back and you know playing around the box where you know you look at 10 years ago people say never play across your box yeah. it's crazy and yeah it's good now the you know it's changed and and the attitude's changed towards that but yeah i mean definitely it's yeah, for me, I, I, any keeper, I say, look, you've got, if you want to play at a high level, you've got no chance unless you can, you're yeah, good with your feet as well. As well yeah. And that's why you look at a lot of the top keepers have actually been players as well in yeah, the past and yeah. then made that transition. Yeah. And right, predicting the future now then. So what's the future football going to look like? Is, is it going to be more and more? I mean, obviously, Ajax have flown the last couple of years with a young team, very technical base. Do you, do you see that being the way things are heading now, even more so than it has done? Yeah, I mean, look, at, you look at the you know modern game, the highest level, you know, like I said... All players on the pitch need to be comfortable on the ball, need 1v1 capabilities. So, you you know, maybe you look at Chris Smalling, didn't make the World Cup squad because he wasn't good enough on the ball and South Korea was pretty open about that. So, you know, well, that's my message to what all players are and all, at all levels, they look, if you have ambitions of being a good player, you must have, this is a really important part of it. Whether you're a centre-back or you're a right-back or a midfielder or a striker, you need to have quality on the ball. Gone are the days where I can be that big lump who you just lump up yeah. to. Because yeah. what you find is the players just overtake you now. And that's the other thing about English football and I was having this conversation with these a couple of players came from Norway this week to work with me a couple of young players and they said yeah same like it's very much based on physicality because at that young age you get results with players who are big and physical but what happens then in the end you know these technical players will overtake them in the end so you know it's about having a bit of foresight about that as well so there's no danger of going full cycle then and going back to the long well, ball you, and stuff seem, you never know no because deal. It, 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 football works in cycles and every, like everything yeah. else you never know but you hope not no. you know and yeah. then you know so for me you know that was my you know I've got a record saying that you know when Sam Allardyce got the England job I was like you know I've got a lot of, nothing but respect for him because he's had a great career but for me it was like it, it was completely binary opposite to all the DNA project yeah. that England had put yeah. in and I was like that's such a missed opportunity because you know we can have higher expectations of our players and that's not a bad way to play I'm saying it's not the way the modern game is played by all the other top clubs yeah. teams and then you see the difference Southgate's made and the reputation to England and the players that they're playing because if you trust them and yeah. you know give those opportunities we can actually play you know quality football quality football yeah 
Last question for me, if that's all right, Sol. Yeah. Just your plans, really. What's your plans for the future? Obviously, you've been really busy with all the stuff that's going on and some great work there, but, you know, what are your plans? What's your hopes moving forward? for? Yes, like, really, so, like, you know, most of my time is now spent on the app. So, for instance, I'm going to LA next month working with some partner clubs out there. We've obviously got players clubs on the app um, and filming and doing stuff like that. So, trying to build more, get more clubs, obviously, around the world using the app and uh, trying to get some federations as well, obviously. LA Galaxy and Wolverhampton Wonders use it. I'd like to get some more pro clubs we're talking to at the moment as well. I mean, I'm still lucky enough to work with, you know, a lot of young pros and stuff like that. So keep on doing that and just keep on learning and, you know, developing, you know. And, and you know, would I go back into academy football? Absolutely, yeah, I consider it. But yeah. I mean, to, and to do what maybe, you know, I definitely want to work with this as some, as some something around that sort of individual type yeah. coach, which I'm yeah. doing. But yeah, for me, it's just about trying to get out there and meet as many people and just try and spread the word about technical coaching and 1v1. And keep learning, right? Keep learning. I yeah. mean, yeah, keep learning and yeah, keep developing. It's really, you know, powerful. Superb. And so, I mean, look, just... I'm very grateful for your time today. But if people want to reach out to you, any best way of getting hold of you? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at my football coach or Instagram my football coach one, uh, or they could just email me directly Saul at my Just go to my personal football coach anyway and check it out and look at all the the things we have to offer there. Superb, Saul. Thank you so much for your time today. Really Pleasure. appreciated. Thank no you. Okay, Mark. So through the power of editing and <laughs> testing our IT skills to the maximum, we've managed to um, listen to the episode yeah. and come back together. Yes. And um, we haven't really spoke, actually, since you've listened to it about your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, so I'm genuinely uh, intrigued to know, and please be polite. I appreciate you weren't there and I had to do all the dog work, but um, <laughs> what, you know, what, 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 what your thoughts were. So I, 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 my first thought is that it was excellent discussion, I must say. Um, it, was, it was as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought Saul was, was really, really good, very, very articulate when he kind of spoke, very clear around um, his points, which I'll, I'll go into. So I thought it was a fantastic discussion. Um, secondly, there's no doubt about it, the podcast is better when I'm on it. So, um, so that's, that's my, <laughs> second, my second piece of feedback. Is it wrong that I hope this episode is the least listened to one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, so the most listened it's to the most one. Listened yeah. To, exactly, yeah. Um, but overall, there's a few things that I really kind of pulled out. I made so many notes on my book here. I'm, I'm trying to scramble around and find them. But I think a, f- a few of the points was, the first one was around the opposed versus unopposed approach. And I think this is one of the areas that we've covered a lot through the different podcasts and I think like I think we think we're a little bit different actually I think we're probably quite similar uh, we just don't <laughs> get on the same page when we talk about it but I I think his his um his 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 what well, he his point was that you need both you need opposed and you need unopposed and I think that's absolutely right I think you need that unopposed um training um and again he Saul spoke about it he was he he spoke about building that relationship with the ball, building that technique. Um, I think it's around the physical literacy side that it helps, that on the unopposed side. But you also need to put that into an opposed situation. You need to put it into your 1v1s. You need to put it into 2v2s, 3v3s. And he spoke about that. He spoke about the layering of the games and things. So I I think it was was a real, maybe not an eye-opener, but it was really just kind of, resonated with me that those points it was making i totally kind of agreed with them and was on on the same page as as, as him on that yeah but I, I, when i was listening to me i was thinking several occasions this is right up mark street <laughs> um 
but you know, he, for for me, he did get me thinking and more about it all and questioning some of the reasons maybe I've not focused as much on that individual mastery stuff as I probably should have and will do moving forward. So yeah. um, he's edged me a bit nearer to Excellent. your side of things. It's good to, it's good to hear. <laughs> but he did make the point around um, the timing of the sessions and then some of the other guests we've had on is around prioritising your time, what your outcomes are and things like that. And I, I think that's a... That's a good point, right? If you've only got a, if you've only got a team for an hour a week, maybe you don't want to spend twenty minutes doing ball mastery because that's that's a that's a huge chunk of your time. Maybe you're better off just letting them play and do small sided games, and it just depends on your time. That was one like of that. my takeaways, Mark. I think from it, it was about you said a couple of times, Sol, that you know the importance of homework and what the players do outside of the sessions. Yeah. Now, you know, obviously, Sol's works. Uh, decent level around academies where they're probably training three four times a week with these players and he's that's still a priority for them because they're not training all day every day obviously so there's lots of time outside of the sessions where they can be doing other things yeah um for us that have the players maybe once or twice a week um probably for less times in those sessions as well it's even more important arguably that they're doing other stuff outside the session that complements yeah. their, their their football diet if you like now that hasn't got to be necessarily with the football they could yeah. be out playing tennis and yeah. they could be out doing gymnastics dancing yeah. you know whatever it could be loads of different things um, there are even playing FIFA on the PS4 or the Xbox so it yeah, doesn't yeah. Like, it's, it's all yeah. learning right so um, I think for me that was one of the takeaways relating to your point there that it's you know it is about using the time in the most effective and efficient way for your players and what they need um, but some of that stuff can be done outside of training yeah. and obviously he's got the app that does a lot of that stuff as well um, and he wasn't pushing that I, I know he wasn't but the reason he's put it in place is because he sees the need for that which is fair yeah, enough absolutely yeah yeah yeah, totally agree. Um, I also liked his point around, and I mentioned it a minute ago, around the layering of the game. So he was he spoke about ball mastery, going into 1v1, into 2v2, 3v3, 4v4. And he was really focused on small-sided games. And I think even to the point he was making that the, 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 the teams, if they're playing 9v9 or something, in training he was of the belief it should be small-sided games, which, again, I absolutely kind of agree with. I, I just think... This, it, we play these small-sided games, and I think we, we, we're going to do a podcast on this at some point yeah. in, in the future. Um, I just think you're playing these small-sided games. You, the, a, the players get so much, so many more touches of the ball. B, they've got so many more decisions to be made on the pitch, decision-making opportunities on the pitch. Um, C, they're just high-intensity games. They're just yeah. on the on the go all the time. I just think it's, you just get real, and and you can. You can condition those to get your quality outcomes that you want as well. So that it really is, I just think it's absolutely the way to go um, in in terms of training these kind of small sided games. I know you're you're a big believer of that, um, and you've kind of done a lot of lot of convincing of, um, to me over the over the kind of last couple of years. But it, it, it absolutely is. It's 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 the way to go. I was actually surprised at how much that came up in the conversations. Mm. I wasn't mm. expecting it to be so much around that. And, and I think, I don't want to speak for so he's not here to, to, to defend himself or argue against my point, but I think that may be something that he's shifting a little bit uh, in, in the sense of always pro, you know, obviously he's a very technical coach and he, he, he values that ball mastery and that technical yeah, work, yeah. which is understandable. Yeah. But I think he would probably say that actually, you know what, yes, it's important, but also it's important as well to make that relevant to the game, actually yeah. bring the games in there. Um, he made a good point about seven aside, which we moved to, 
in England under nines, don't yes. we? So from five to seven aside, and I think it was fair because I'm I quite like seven aside, but yeah. I like it for the same reasons he doesn't like it. I think yeah. um, he doesn't like the space you get and the fact that actually you can move the ball a lot easier, yeah. and it probably is a bit of a false economy to some extent. Where which is true, isn't it? Because yeah. you know if you've got a good passing team at seven aside, you probably do okay. You know, but the, yeah. boy, the players still need to have. Good ball control, obviously good first touch, be able to move their body right and have all the other stuff going on there. But if you're on a seven-a-side format and the pitch is that much bigger, that actually it, it probably lends itself better to passing than taking yeah. those 1v1 opportunities. Where actually if you played, it, arguably in, in England, we could play five-a-side under sevens yep. and you could then play six-a-side yep. under eights on the same size pitches yeah. because, you know, that's a tough test then. Right, isn't it? And that would yeah. really get you touched up and, yeah. meet and be hard work. And there's a, yeah. there's a case for that. And I, again, I was thinking maybe it might be something... I look at doing with the young our team, the younger ones, um, as practice matches or something. Just yeah. see how, how you know. I know it'd be scrappy and hard on a yeah. six, six, you know, six players on each team on a five-a-side pitch. Uh, under eights are all a bit bigger than they were, do you know, and the goals yeah. haven't got any bigger and stuff. But that's a good test, right? Yeah. Um, well, I remember. I remember when one of the futsal sessions you made the pitch I think it must have been maybe eight metres long it was tiny less than half a side of what we had in the, in the gym at the time wasn't it and it wasn't yeah. a big gym so it yeah was a tiny pitch and you were playing three on three yep. and at first it was very chaotic but actually you, I think you had a rule as work condition there that had to make three passes before they scored at yep. one point and they could do it. The boys yeah. could do it. And this was under sevens, uh, early under sevens as well. Took about ten minutes for the yeah. game to settle down. But yeah. you just watch it, watch it. It looked chaotic at first, yeah. and you know, and the people, the, even the players weren't really. It was just too much for some of them. And yeah. suddenly, one team clicked in, and they got it. The other team clicked in and got it. And yeah. it just, yeah. So, you know, it's different challenges. But if you can do it in tight, confined spaces, it's easy to do it in the bigger space, right? Yeah, yeah. So, look, I thought it was brilliant overall. Fantastic, um, fantastic discussion. So, obviously, you were there. What were yeah. you all kind of, kind of? things that you really took away from it well besides the actual ability to uh, host the podcast <laughs> <laughs> which you did a good uh, job on and his no well he's got, I've got a, a few more yards under his belt than i have so he, he speaks slower and clearer and knows what he's doing so um no he was just it, it it was exactly kind of when you listen to him so much on the, on his on his episodes you kind of know what to expect yeah um so there was no surprises around that and I, and I didn't want to be controversial, you know, but I, I kind of wanted to be convinced as well. And he mm. did it. I mean, there's no question about it for me. Like, yeah. Not that I was unconvinced, but and the three reasons really. One, one would have been the homework point. I think yeah. that was a good point. But the other two things that kind of really sold it to me that uh, naively I hadn't really probably prioritized enough was actually how you can make the technical element of what you do also embed it with the physical literacy. So it hasn't got to be, I think, so I'll use the phrase touch for touch's sake, you know, and there is mm. a lot. So that, that does happen, right? Yeah. Um, if you use it cleverly, the technical work, it can also be physically challenging. Yeah. Whether you're working on stamina, speed, acceleration, agility, balance, coordination, whatever it might be, you yep. can make a session that involves the ball work and also building the physical side to it as well. And, yep. you know, so so for me, I think where I, I might do a session and I might do a physical literary activity and yep. then do some technical work and then yep. go into the practice. Well, why not put those things together? You know, which I know it sounds a bit silly that I hadn't done it, but I hadn't done it before. I think because I have to focus so much on the technical stuff and it probably requires me to have that uh, pace in which I can see the stuff that's going on so I can hopefully help the players and give the points I need that I don't embed the physical literature stuff enough. Yep. So for me, that's the big one. And the, and the final thing that, you know, again, seems obvious, but I, I didn't really put it together as much as I should do was actually technical training can be and in fact should be must should be, be fun yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Do you know what i mean like yeah. it hasn't got to be just dribbling around cones and doing boring stuff and i i wonder whether a lot of the times we think about that technical and the post training 
you know, particularly in my mind, I go straight to kind of something that's a bit dry and dull, won't transfer yeah. and stuff, and it's cone based and it's everything. And actually, you know what? Yes, that some of that goes on, but you can do really good, high level technical training with players that can be engaging, can be fun, can work on the physical literacy. And will transfer into a game, yep. and it can be unopposed, yep. and it can be one player with a the ball. There you go, look, yeah, I said yeah, it out there, there, guys. I like it. I like it. <laughs> You're convinced? No, I, I, I agree. But I think in general, training's always got to be fun, though, isn't it? Especially when you're dealing with foundation phase, it has to be fun. That's, okay, that's why? fundamental. Well, because if it's not fun, the players a I don't think they develop at the, the, the rate that they should develop at. B they won't come back. Um, won't want to won't want to play in future. I think they're the two fundamental things. And and at the end of the day, we're here. We're here to develop players and keep them playing football. Because 100%. realistically, the players that we've got probably won't be professional footballers as much as we think they're good players. There's a whole host of statistically, statistically it's against them, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll also say for the fun thing, I think what we can often forget is that, like human nature, I can guarantee that you'll be the same as me that. When I'm enjoying what I do, mm. I work a lot harder at it. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean yeah, the application's right. yeah. there? So yeah. you know what? It, it's it, like I don't believe the fact you'll get the best out of your players if they're not enjoying it. Yeah. Now, even if they're trying to do the right things because they're good kids and they want to work better and they're you know they're, but if they're not really enjoying it, they won't be yeah. at their best. Yeah. And so I think you know if if there's a reason I hear coaches sometimes saying oh, I'm not bothered, it's not fun. I think well I get that, but I think you're wrong because yeah. I guarantee you whatever play you've got, they won't be trying their best if they're not enjoying it. Yeah. They might be trying, you know, they might be doing something and not missing around and, and giving it a go but they won't be getting you won't be getting the best out of them unless yeah. you can make it fun as well and that means sometimes helping them to enjoy the challenge yeah yeah you know, d- enjoy the fact that it's going to be tough today and it's going to be a hard session you're not going to do something you naturally maybe use your strength yep. you know and and that's where the whole kind of resilience and that thing comes into place as well doesn't it but yeah totally agree but a good episode okay yeah um so oh jeff's question just yes. quickly. so obviously yep. so, so what what jeff asked was really around the fact that do, do we um What's our thoughts, I guess, generally speaking, on um, staying on the ball or passing the ball? Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of be good to clear it up. So, go on, you go first, Mark. What, what's your thoughts? And I guess we're talking, uh, we'll qualify when you're talking about what age you might be talking about. Yeah. So, I think, I, I think, in general, I, t- I think I'll talk about the fa- foundation phase in general. Obviously, that's, that's quite a big um, scope. You've got un- un- from under five to under 11s um, in England. Um, I think that, firstly, Staying on the ball, I think, is critical. You, the boys, the players, need to have um, that technical understanding. They need to have that development where they can control the ball, they can manipulate the ball, they can move it. So they need to be able to do those things first and foremost. Because if they can't do those things, then when you try to layer on th- layer on activities in future, it's going to be very difficult to do that. So they need to have that good grounding. Um, that I think it's technical grooving. I've heard a few times being used they need to have that um that ability so i think um staying on the ball is is critical i think that a lot of people don't perhaps use passing or don't encourage passing especially probably under five to under sevens which i can understand to a certain extent i can understand um however passing is part and parcel of the game right so you um you, you, when when you go to eleven aside or you're at nine aside, you you pass the ball. You you have to pass the ball. You can't run the ball from one one end to the other. A because it's such a big pitch. B there's so many more players on the pitch. Yep. It's just a different game. So then I think you need to introduce passing in the in the younger years for sure. 
Um, but I think it's it's how you do it and and you and doing it in the right areas. That, yeah. That's the way I think. But I think you should still encourage players to stay on the ball and do what they need to do on on the ball. Yeah, that's that, that's that's my kind of view. Yeah, what do and you think? I, I agree. I, honestly, I agree, and I get Jeff's point. And you know, certainly the priority. If you if you had to pick one, you're going to pick stay on the ball. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? You're going to stay on the ball, especially when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine. So just stay on the ball, stay on the ball yep. as much as you can. My worry, as I've said it before, is if you only say that to the player stay on the ball, and that does happen. Yep. It's like there are academies in this country, you know, Premier League academies with kids there, and they'd almost encourage you to tackle your own teammates yeah. to, you know, to get yep. the ball because that's what they want to do. And I understand it because they want and, you touching the ball. Yeah, and these are arguably the best academies the, the, in the in yeah, England. Who have kind of gone and scattered, arguably the best at this moment in time, the strongest players that they see at this yep. moment in time. So yep. I understand that. My challenge with that is the fact, if as a player I've only got to think about standing the ball in, and beating legs, I'm not practicing that game awareness, that scanning, that looking up, that kind of anticipation necessarily. Or I am in parts, but limited down to just to beat in one v one and beat them the next pair of legs in front of me. Yeah. Where there's a whole other game going on, and I see some really good players, some really good players that I don't think get the credit they deserve sometimes from the scouts to come and watch our games, and not just from our team, mm-hmm. but other teams as well. That are the are the players that actually read the game well, find good space, share the ball, you know, and yeah. do that stuff. And look, and I'm I, I'm I'm not a professional scout, and I don't work in academy, so I can yeah. some absolute nonsense. But for me, I th- I do think that's an important part of the game. And when we refer to some of the best players in, in recent times, yes, there are players out there that beat players 1v1, but there's a few of them. There's also lots of players that we refer to, you know, because of their ability to pass a ball, find a pass, read the game, pass yeah. and move, and beat players in different ways on a 1v1. Yeah. You know, and you, if you look at the, the Barcelona dream team, it's Park Messi for one second. Most of those players are just brilliant passers of the ball. Yeah. If you look yeah. at the Man City team, most of those players there are just great passers of the ball, you know. Yeah. And I just think, so it's, I, I'm certainly, I, I'm honestly not saying that prioritising in stay on the ball is wrong because it isn't particularly yeah. under ages I just think players can pass as well yeah. what danger can become for coaches where we've got to run teams and try and get um, try and develop winning teams yeah, yeah that's the idea um, not focused on the result but winning teams doing things yeah. the right way that if you passing can be a, a quite an easy solution um, and what you do then is you almost give players an opportunity to get out of their 1v1 ability by passing the ball and that's when it's wrong so you've got to manage it carefully haven't you yeah. so you want to know that actually little Jimmy can stay on the ball yeah. and you know can probably beat a player or two and protect that but also at the right time when you know little Billy's in a bit more space you know or got an opportunity he can play that ball through for that, yeah, that yeah. player to yeah. go through yeah. and, and that's what I'm saying and, and wow if you can do that under 7s under 8s then these are good players right yeah, still yeah. so they can do yeah. both why can't yeah. they do both is yeah. the question yeah I, I totally agree and when you just to just to clarify when you say a good passer a player is a good passer it's not just necessarily a good passer right it's the fact that they make a pass they can they see they got the vision to see it they find the space the pockets of space so you look at your Iniesta's your Javi's even your De Bruyne's now yep. it's, it's that the way they, they pass and move the ball and, yep. and the space they find all the time yeah. David Silva's a great one actually who who's great on the ball but he actually is a great. He, he knocks he, the amount of goals that he creates yeah. by his passing and ability to find space, and the movement off the ball as well, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. And also when you give it to get it back. So yeah, yeah it's all that. And I mean, we're talking about professional football players, but I've seen it at younger mm. age yeah, groups. Yeah. I've seen yeah. it at sevens, eights, nines, and tens. I've seen it. Now, and these aren't players that only pass. These are also good players on the ball that can beat yeah. legs as well. You know. Yeah. And so I guess aspirationally, for me as a grassroots football coach, 
with a you know with a, a decent level of players at our disposal to work with. Yeah, I'd like them to do both. Yeah. Um, so it's a question for you just then. So you've got your one of your under sevens players. He has a one-on-one opportunity going going through on goal. Would you encourage the player then, even if he's got, if, even if it says a torn one? Yeah. Would you always encourage him to have a go at the defender? So, so I think the general rule is, and I've been corrected by one or two boys, rightly so, where we've always said, look, one v one, go for it. Yeah. You know, um, we did a training session a couple of weeks back, and um, one of the boys had a 1v1 playing in the left-back position and took on the thing, lost the ball mm. and the other team scored and he had a passing option. And I said to that player that, that lost the ball, I said, "What was your, I wasn't, well, what was your other option? Mm. Could have passed it. And he turned around and he said to me, I could have passed it. And he said, but followed it up with, but you did say 1v1, take him on. And yeah, I was yeah. like, you're spot on, you did right. Yeah, yeah, That's what I yeah, said. So he yeah. corrected me and he was yeah. right, you know, and, yeah. and, and the message hasn't changed. Yes, yeah. yeah. Just, but make the choice you think's best, yeah. you know. Yeah. And what I would say is, you know, you don't know... If I'm playing centre back or left back in our little team, and I try and drive at their first attacker, you know, their first finish pressing me if I've got the ball, mm. um, and it, you know, and I lose it the first time, and that attacker takes it off me and bangs it top corner, scores a goal. I might only think the second time if I'm going to say, come on or not. Because yeah. maybe he's just very, 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 very good. Yeah, and yeah, maybe my yeah. solution to this problem today is actually maybe I, I make that first pass, then get behind and get it back after I got past him. Yeah. Who knows? Because maybe he's yeah. great going forward, but not as great working backwards. Yeah. So I think that's where the, that's where maybe making choices over um, winning rather than a result is important. Yeah. So I wouldn't have an issue with one little bit. Now, if, if that player does it five times and mm. it's cost you five goals, yeah. not the goals issue in one little bit, but the fact they're learning here. So you think, actually, you know what, what might be a better solution to that situation? You know, And we shouldn't need to get to it five times and you know to get there. You could once or twice or even three times. Fair enough, what's the option? You got you know yeah. what else you could do. And that's where actually having the ability then to share the ball yeah. because actually this particular player they're playing against is physically maybe a bit stronger, a bit quicker, a bit there, You know, just that little bit ahead at, at the time for whatever reason that may be yeah. they find a different solution to the problem yeah you know yeah yeah it's inter- it is interesting because even even in that situation one could argue actually just have another go at him have just have another go right maybe you maybe you need to th- find a different technique or a different skill to get around him or maybe you're right maybe the best option is to to, to make a pass in that situation I, it's, I, it's interesting i don't always i don't always think there's there's never to me this is the way you should be doing it it's always Horses, of course, and different solutions. But, but, however good your team may be and your players may be individual collectively, there is a possibility that you will face a team or a player that's better than you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and in that. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 90 minutes, you haven't got the solution. You're yeah. going to need six months plus to get anywhere close, yeah. maybe. So yeah. my point is, you know, well, actually, you know, having the ability to be able to play yeah. the ball backwards, passable, square, pass it forward, that, not not a hot potato, but just a, a, an, an alternative. It gives me some breathing space. You know, yeah. I can do these things. So, you know, that would be, you know, but it's not an exact science. You're dead yeah. right. And it's certainly yeah. not not one rule you must or you mustn't. It's, you know, have have the tools in your armory as a coach. Yeah. Give the players the most tools you can as a coach. Fo- do yeah. focus on staying on the ball, especially the younger age groups. But, you know, don't limit them because yeah. maybe they can do a bit of both. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sound I all right? Think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I thought hopefully that's answered Jeff's question because it was a really good question, actually. And we wanted to give it a, a, a proper, um, proper air time, right? Yeah. Well, maybe, yeah, yeah, definitely. We could always, we, I think this whole passing down the ball thing is another big conversation again, but, you know, let's yeah. see, let's see what feedback comes from this and then yeah. we'll go if we have to. Yeah, brilliant. Right, a challenge moving forward, Marky. I think yep. we should do a final thought at the end of the okay. show All just right. to encourage people to part with this hour and 50 minute episode <laughs> that we're doing now. <laughs> so I'll let, you, I'll let you take the first. Should I do this week's, yeah, right? I've got a final thought. You do next week's, yeah, all right? I'll or next that. episode's yeah. one. No. Right, so look, 
uh, my, my thought is this. I believe it's much easier to focus on the next game's result than it is to focus on the long-term development of your players. Yeah. Okay, now, if I just focus purely on trying to get the results in the next game, I'm not winning here, but getting the result in the next game, do you know what? I'm quite confident I can do that. And, you know, we'll probably be all right because against most teams, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Um, I can play to my strengths, you know, I can make training just about that and stuff. I can yep. be a bit more cutthroat and how I deal with the players and, you know, and, and stuff. Um, but if I decide to make choices that are based on the long-term development, next week's result becomes a bit of an issue, a bit yep. harder for me, but the longer-term aspects I think would be more beneficial. And yep. um, you can compare it to, I can go and get a takeaway tonight, you know, I can go down to the pizza place or a local Indian and get a nice curry or something, yep. um, you know, which should be lovely for the night. But if I do that every night, it's easy and stuff like that. For the long term, it's no good for me. Well, yep. I, mean, I could c- c- cook a nice meal and have something healthy. So yep. my, that, that's my thought. Brilliant. you got one for next week, all right? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good one as well. So I've got a, <laughs> a challenge on to, uh, to beat that one for you. Good man. All right. Well, look, thanks everybody for listening. Long episodes. We had to cut ourselves in and out of the um, actual recording with Sol. A massive thank you to Sol. Please check out his podcast. He's got an app. He's got loads of things going down. But once you've gone to his podcast, you'll get all the information you need from there. He's obviously active on Twitter as well. Um, we'll put his details in our show notes on this episode. Thanks to everyone for their comments and feedback. Really appreciate that. Thanks to Jeff for his question. Thanks for all the emails. Yep. Uh, please like, please give the five stars if you think that's appropriate and a comment would be fantastic. But more importantly, if you think it's worthwhile, please share it to people so more people can listen yep. and hopefully get something out of this. Good, bad or indifferent, we like the feedback. Any yep. ideas for an episode you want us to cover, please let us know. We've got a massive list, but you know we'll jump yours to the top if you, know, if you want us to. Just shout what you want us to cover and we will do that. Um, you can reach us at email at info at the soccercoachingpodcast.com or you can get us on Twitter at you don't know it do you soccer at the soccer coach cast oh you're well done yeah, very good so i'm impressed yeah there you go if mark knows you guys you gotta know this right <laughs> all right brilliant stuff all right thanks so much mark cool cheers Scott. have a good week everybody cheers guys Bye.